The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Good Morning New York Real Estate. I'm Vince Rocco, your host. I'd like to welcome our listeners from the United States and around the world. We have a great show today, continuing in our series of presidents of companies. We have Richard Grossman here, who is the president of Halstead Property. We'll talk to him about his company and about his personal success. And we also have a guest panelist today, Tony Sargent from Core Real Estate, where I work, and he'll join the panel as we discuss luxury real estate. Looking for a presidential pad steeped in history but don't want to break the bank? Well, that isn't happening, but you can find a former First Lady's childhood abode for a bit of a discount. This week, the biggest price reduction on a luxury property was at 740 Park Avenue. It's a duplex where young Jackie Bouvier lived with her parents in the 1930s. Last week, the Rosaria Candela design duplex was slashed from $32.5 million to $29.5 million, a reduction of about 9%, but it wasn't the only pricey pad to receive a reduction in the last couple of weeks, although there were fewer properties with slashed asking prices uh, in, than in previous weeks. In total, four properties in the over $10 million market were discounted by more than 5% in the period from November 11th through November 21st. This, of course, according to data provided by StreetEasy. Airbnb is withdrawing its lawsuit against New York State, but vowed to continue its legal crusade against New York City over what it claims are unfair rules constraining its business. The short-term rental listing site had filed a suit against the city and state in October after Governor Andrew Cuomo signed a bill imposing a fine of up to $7,500 on Airbnb hosts who break New York's housing laws. But now Airbnb and New York's Attorney General Eric Schneiderman filed documents acknowledging that Airbnb's complaint concerns New York City jurisdiction and that the suit against the state should be dismissed. Deciding on a condo or a townhouse, the answer is uh, the age-old question every buyer with $4 million or more to plunk down on a home was, at least last week, the latter, a townhouse. Uh, For just uh, the second time this year, a pair of townhouses claimed the top two spots on a week's luxury contract list, a 7,051-square-foot townhouse at the Greenwich Lane asking $25.5 million and a 25-footer on West 13th Street with an ask of $16 million topped the list of luxury contracts signed for the week of November 14th through the 20th. This is only the second time this year. The first was back in February when townhouses took the top two spots on the list. There were a total of 20 contracts signed at $4 million and above for the third week of November, with the average discount from the original asking price at 6%. 
President-elect Donald Trump has made it clear that he doesn't want to leave Trump Tower penthouse for the uh, White House full-time, but a new set of stats suggests that other building tenants are looking to leave even if he isn't. An analysis conducted by The Hollywood Reporter revealed that almost 15% of the units within the 58-story high-rise are listed either for sale or rent, and prices have been on a steady decline, though it's virtually impossible to know if that is a result of his recent uh, election uh, result without speaking to the vacating tenants. There are at least 31 apartments and are currently on the market, and even more that were listed and later removed. Over the past year, at least 39% of the available building units, both rentals and purchases, have seen price reductions. Not only are residents looking to unload, the units are spending about 50% more time on the market than the average luxury apartment, leading to an increase in a number of vacant units. So, Let's move on. With more than three decades of real estate experience in New York City, Richard Grossman is well-known as an innovative, effective, and strategic leader in both residential and commercial field. As president of Halstead, Richard works closely with the CEO, Diane Ramirez, to form the executive committee of Halstead Property. In addition, he also handles the day-to-day operations of running Halstead's Village and Soho offices. Under his careful and thoughtful direction, a solid network of loyal and top-producing agents has been created in the downtown offices of Halstead. Combined with his strong leadership skills, Richard is able to provide his agents and their clients with an invaluable knowledge of the ins and outs of the real estate industry. In his personal time, Richard is an avid traveler, fitness enthusiast, and collector of contemporary and modern art. He is the past president of the Brevort East, a luxury 330-unit cooperative building in Greenwich Village. He's a graduate of Syracuse University and has received a diploma in real estate analysis from New York University. Good morning. Good morning, Vince. Boy, those are some stats. Thank you. You're a very busy person. You know, I keep forgetting that in addition to running or being president of Halstead, you also still are are overseeing the two downtown offices for that company. That is correct. I don't know how you do it, but that's a lot of work. I enjoy it every every day, every day. (laughs) I'm sure you do. All right, let's get on to it. So Halstead is the third largest, and and, and correct me on some of these stats if you can. Halstead is the third largest residential brokerage in New York City. According to the Real Deal's most most recent ranking, they clock in with over 800 agents representing more than $800 million worth of listings. I'm sure those numbers might be higher by now. Right, and that represents their New York market. We also are in New New Jersey and Connecticut as well. Gotcha. Earlier this year, Halstead named you a long-term member of the brokerage executive team as president to become only the third president in Halstead's 15-year history. So how did that happen for you? Well, that's a hard question for me to answer. Uh, Without elaborating, let me just say I have staying power and I have patience. (laughs) Yes, you do. I guess I know you for how many years are you? you? I've been with Halstead about 11 or 12 years. I came to Halstead through Mm -hmm. an acquisition of the company I worked for at the time, which was a management company. And I ran this, the called Heron Properties. And I ran the uh, sales division of that company. I worked at Halstead for 10 years. And I remember very well you being the the downtown, very popular downtown manager uh, of the downtown offices. So, you know, you you were you've worked there for a dozen years or so. You've you've you know done very well. The, you've got a great following, uh, great agents in the downtown offices. You are now president. So when you look back on your success or your longevity, you know, with the company, what do you think the keys to your success are? Because listen, you know, not everybody gets to the height or the levels, you know, that that you are uh, within this organization. Well, first of all, I think that I've always had a yearning to learn more about real estate and developing my skill set. As Paul Massey once said to me years ago, that you learn half of what you need to know in your real estate in your first year, and you learn the rest of the half throughout the rest of your career. 
I've always, I think this is true, and I've always been a student of the craft of real estate. Um, and to me, you know, this is a changing business, and what keeps it interesting is always learning how to do things new. Secondly, you know, building relationships. You know, the you know the relationships I have with agents, with clients, with 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 people I've developed over thirty years in the business. I can call someone that I haven't spoken to in twenty years, and they'll both take my phone call and help me out. And I use those relationships, and I tend to those relationships, and I use those relationships to help the people that work for me do more business. I can call somebody up work at his problem, and we can go on and get a successful transaction because of that. Talk to me a little bit about the craft of real estate. I like the way you define that. What, what, do, you, what do you mean by that? Well, by the craft of real estate, I'm talking about the, the skill set you need to know in order to do business. It's understanding the terms. It's understanding the relationships among how things work among, among each other. So you can understand how to put a deal together. It's negotiating skills. It's people skills. It's technical skills. You know, when you, So you're talking about a transaction. You know, How do you qualify for someone for a cooperative building? We deal a lot with cooperatives in New York City. The buildings have down payment requirements, post-purchase liquidity requirements. They have debt-to-income ratio requirements, how do you, you know, direct people to the right building and structure the transactions in the right way? And there's a lot of, you know, details and relationships that you have to manage along the way. So when I talk about the craft of real estate, it's how to think about this in a strategic manner to keep yourself two steps ahead to make the the transaction goes smoothly. That's what I talk about the craft of real estate. Not to deviate from our some of the other things we want to talk about this morning, but let let you you, you bring a couple of things to mind here. So, and, and when I was managing at my former company, also, what is it that you know you guys look for when you're bringing in new agents? Because what you just discussed, as far as the transaction or the the the, the art of the deal, so to speak, it's not difficult work, but it's not easy, and it takes a certain skill level to sort of you know go through these deals sure. from start so, to finish. So I'm going to look for, and I, I've been very successful. I've actually had four revenue rookie of the year come out of my village office over the last seven or eight years. No other sales director in the city can say that. It's something I'm particularly proud of. And I have a fifth revenue rookie of the year who has since come to work out of my office as well. What I look for is a few things. I look for someone, first of all, who has the willingness to learn, who's bright, has the willingness to learn, who can develop relationships with people. Because at the end of the day, this business, is the, the real estate business in New York has a lot of components. And one of those components is the developed relationships. I can't teach someone how to be a nice person or how to develop relationships. People either have that or they don't. What I can teach them are the skill sets about real estate, how to negotiate a deal, how to think about a transaction, how to... How to um, talk real estate with people that I can give people there, so they have the ability to learn. I can work very well with them, and 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 that's part of, quite frankly, been a large part of my success. Is I've surrounded myself with really smart, capable people, and you know we 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 thrive on the idea of how to how to do this better, how to do the real estate that we do, and continually looking to do it better day after day. Yeah, I remember the days. As I said, I worked at Hallstead for ten years, and and you had it rocking down there. So now another question on that: so, you know, How do you compare like a brand newbie? Because these days, a lot of uh, young folks coming out of college want to go right into real estate. Versus when I joined real estate, it was always a second, third, or even fourth career. Well, it wasn't for me. I'll mention that I came out of real estate right out of my right out of college as well. I actually started when I was, when I was in college, and we look for it's a combination of both. I mean, I will. It's, I look at the person. I've had very successful agents come to me. This was their first career, and they maybe even their first job, and they've, they've they've gone on to have some very good careers and and been very successful. I've also had people who've come to me from 
you know, successful business careers. And if someone's had a successful business career in another business, maybe they worked for sales in, in the computer industry. Let's say IBM, for instance. Okay, they can come into this business because they have the business background. I don't need to tell them how to teach, how to have relationships, how to cultivate business with people. They're going to have that down. What they're coming to me for is to how do I be a better real estate agent? How do mm-hmm. I be a, real, a better real estate broker? And I spend a lot of time thinking about that. I also spend a lot of time teaching that on a continual basis so that my agents are, are equipped with the skills they need to be successful. How big is your team now? Well, in the downtown offices, we have about 150 agents in the Village and Soho office offices at Halstead. As a company, we have about 1,300 agents in the tri-state area. We cover, uh, you know, it's in New York, New Jersey, uh, northern Connecticut. We're in the Hamptons and in the Mid-Hudson Valley. I was going to ask you, how many cities are you currently in? And uh, you are officially back in the Hamptons because I remember there was a time that, that you guys left and then I wasn't sure if you went back again. We are officially back in the Hamptons. So we are we have about 33 offices in the tri-state area um, and we cover um, – a variety of marketplaces, you know, from starter homes in Riverdale to second homes in the Hamptons and Hudson Valley to luxury properties in, in, in Fairfold County in northern New Jersey, um, as well as, you know, th- throughout the, the, the broad market in Manhattan, Brooklyn, and Queens. In Manhattan, what types of properties do your agents m- mainly focus on? I mean, we hear the term luxury used, I think, almost to a fault. Well, Everything is luxury, luxury, luxury. Well, but Halstead's a broad market company. So we, we deal with properties, you know, starting in the entry level area, which is in Manhattan. It was probably in the $500,000 range. And we, we you know, and, and that said, we just had a contract signed on a property over $30 million this month. So it's a, it's a wide range of property. Yeah, it's very interesting. And like I said, you know, I think the term luxury is is overused because, you know, well, I guess, you know, in this town, a $500,000 property could be considered luxury if you're living somewhere else or purchasing. We talked about this before the show started. I was watching a program last night and somebody was buying a house in a suburb for $500,000. And I looked at the size of this house. It was 5,000 square feet. It was, I don't even know, five or six bedrooms. It was huge on two acres of property. And I thought, well, that's luxury. Sure. But here in the city, it's kind of like, well, you know, four million and up might be luxury. You know, luxury it, 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 l- luxury is very hard to define. Maybe a good way to define it is luxury is always getting something more than you thought you'd be able to buy. I will tell you that mm-hmm. you know, I, I've you know, someone who's lived in many apartments throughout the city. When I when you know, the, I always looked at the next apartment as being the luxury for me. That's the next place to go. So luxury is a state of mind. I think more than a description of a property. And I think in my particular case, I've also lived in a couple of places um, through the years I'm living here. And I think when I when I bought my first five hundred thousand dollar was exactly exactly five hundred and fifty five thousand dollar apartment. I thought, and it was a condo at the time. And I thought, okay, I have arrived. I am now in what I think is a luxury building, a luxury condo, a beautiful apartment, and it was $550,000, which at the time was a lot of money. money. All right, we have to go to break. This is Good Morning New York. We will be right back after these messages. Don't go away. Streaming live, the leader in internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. The best part of being a real estate agent is in serving my clients, not just their transaction. This includes sometimes advising them not to sell if it'll improve their quality of life. Once a client decided to move out of New York City to get closer to family and they were inclined to sell, 
I convinced them to lease their home instead. They were shocked that I was willing to take a smaller commission for a smaller project, but after a couple of years, their home nearly doubled in value. I'm John Harrison with CORE, and this is what I do. American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Join host Gary Ray as he shows what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network, live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. Listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll free in North America at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back talking to Richard Grossman, who is president of Halstead Property, a very large real estate firm here in New York City. So, Richard, we've gone through, you know, quite the past 18 months of uh, uh, an election uh, period, presidential campaigning, uh, stressful, a whole bunch of things. And a lot of people say that the market here in New York City has been affected by that as we have gone through the campaign and now certainly since it's over. What changes have you seen in the marketplace since the campaigns began and now that we have a president-elect? Well, I think now that we know that we have a president-elect, I think the buyers are coming back into the marketplace. We, we're certainly seeing that happen. I think we've also seen over the last year, particularly at pri- properties at prices above five, six, seven million dollars, um, a sort of a reset of prices a little bit, anywhere from probably three to eight uh, percent of their either asking or sale price. Um, I think now that this, the, the election has been been decided, we're certainly seeing the buyers coming in and making decisions and buying. In the last month alone, I've seen a number of properties go to contract at 10, 20, and above $30 million. I mentioned that earlier. Uh, that said, most of these properties were made with some negotiation. They weren't just taking, unlike maybe two years ago, where people were paying the asking price or paying above the asking price. Now the buyers are negotiating a little bit. Yeah, and I think it's a good lesson for the sellers to kind of get an appreciation of what, you know, what is happening or what is changing. And, you know, whether we're in a buyer's or a seller's market, it's not even the issue here. I think the fact that the prices are still very strong and still Correct. very high, regardless, you know, of, of what's happening, uh, but they're just kind of correcting to the levels of, of where they need to be. Right, and, I, and I've, I've sort of been saying this for a while now. I said this last spring. Sellers want last year's prices mm-hmm. and the buyers want next year's prices or what they perceive as next year's prices. And the reality is the deals that are being done are done somewhere in the middle of that equation. How difficult, though, is it to be, you know, with that mindset, you know, the sellers thinking and the buyers thinking, how, how do we get to a, a, I think it's about, a compromise? I think it's A, about managing expectations, B, using real data to give, to give specific information to people. We're starting to see the deals come through that have been going to contract, let's say, three, six, seven, eight, nine months ago, and starting to see those close so we can then provide real data to our sellers and saying, hey, your comparable property is selling for $5 million, not $5 million. 550 or whatever the number may be. And so we can give them specific information to guide them correctly. 
you know, the old adage is if Wall Street is booming, that trickle-down effect, you know, affects the, the New York City marketplace. And we've seen this, you know, it, it, the 14 or 15 years that I'm in this business. For the 30-plus years, I've seen it as well. Okay. So now, since uh, the election is over, the Wall Street market has been booming, and we've hit, we've had record high numbers, you know. Do you see that trickling down to the real estate, local real estate market immediately or over the course of, say, the, the, well, the coming th- year, I 2017? I think what we're seeing is we're seeing that there's confidence in the in the stock market. There'll be confidence in the real estate market. I don't think – I don't want to confuse pr- properties selling with prices going up. I don't think necessarily those two things are going to happen at Correct. the same time. I think the prices will sell. Maybe we'll, 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 we'll absorb some of the inventory in the marketplace. Maybe prices will, will, will rise. But I think the buyers are looking at value today and looking at properly priced par- property. And they have choices. They have choices within Manhattan, in the tri-state area, to go to other cities. The buyers have a lot of choices today, and they're using those choices wisely. What do you think, I've been asking people almost every week now, in your opinion, what do you think are the, the areas that are trending more than others in the in the in the boroughs, Brooklyn, Queens, and, and even the Bronx? I mean, where, where in well, particular I mean, do you I mean, see more I mean, activity? I mean, Brooklyn has been, in, been on, on fire and exploding for the last several years. I think it's going to continue to do that. You know, um, I think that uh, parts of, of, of Manhattan, you know, there's certainly ups, great upside potential with the 2nd Avenue subway going in. A lot of people are recognizing that area that's sort of been sort of an undervalued and underserved area has opportunity. As a company, we've recently expanded in, in about a year ago into the Long Island City market. We live, we're very big on Queens. We have two offices in, in the Bronx, and we're looking at more. We think there's a lot of opportunity, a lot of green shoots about the people buying property, people developing things, doing interesting things in the Bronx. You know, I think that there's there's the whole, um, you know, uh, market change, in the, at least in the, in the New York City, the five borough things, has really been exploding. People want to live in an urban environment, and they're coming here. Now, that said, our Northern New Jersey market is very strong, particularly in the in the price range up to two and two and a half million dollars. Connecticut is a phenomenal alternative with some very good values right now for some very beautiful properties. I wanted some, to ask you about Connecticut. It, is it is it a value a property up there now? Or? I mean, you know, there there you know, I think that Connecticut you know has had a you know a readjustment of some pricing as as other areas as well, but the values there are there, and the housing stock is among the best in the nation with with. Beautiful neighborhoods, beautiful towns, and beautiful property. And those properties, particularly compared to property in New York City, you can sell a West Village one-bedroom apartment or two-bedroom apartment in the West Village and buy a beautiful house up in in New Canaan, Connecticut, or in or in or in or in Greenwich, Connecticut. And that's that's the difference. Those are hot areas. So, from a new development perspective, we've also been covering this for the past several weeks. You know, uh, new condo developments have been booming. So, in your company at Halstead, I know you're very big in, in new developments. So, sure. what what do you see happening there? Well, I mean, again, I think that it, it, we, there's a lot of markets in, in, in any one area. You know, one of the things, so new development, we're talking about Manhattan, you know, you know, you know, in Brooklyn, Queens, and many, many places. I mean, Brooklyn remains very, very strong. Uh, Manhattan, you know, at certain price levels remains strong. In other areas, there are certainly choices for the buyers to have. Um, for certain properties, we're seeing some concessions and negotiability from developers. Other properties are selling, you know, Quite well as is. It really depends upon the, the you know, you know what market you're in and 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 how well the property has been designed. There's some of these some of these new developments were better designed and better thought out and better planned than others. You know, I'm old enough. I've, I've, I've talked about this on the show before. I'm old enough to remember the days when if you, if you grew up in Brooklyn, 
Uh, it was your everyone's goal was to get out of Brooklyn and Correct. to come into the city, which was Manhattan. I remember that too. <laughs> right. So you know, it's it's been interesting for me over the past couple of years, as you just stated, that Brooklyn's been on fire for for several years now. But it's been interesting to to watch how that has turned completely around. And now, whether you you start out in Brooklyn or you start out anywhere else, it seems to be the place to be. And Correct. and I've had friends who you know were part of those. I can't wait to get out of Brooklyn and and, and to Manhattan. Now I find them going back. What I mean, what is it in your opinion about that borough that is so hot? I mean, I love Brooklyn, but what? Well, I, think there's, so I, think, hot. I think there is a number of things. I think number one is they had the housing stock to be to be to be redeveloped and to to be refound. To beautiful pre-war buildings, townhouses, you know, uh, leafy streets, beautiful neighborhoods with with beautiful community feels to them. So you had people who were looking for that. I mean, the West Village looks like many parts of of, of, of Brooklyn. And for many years, Brooklyn was half the price of the West Village. Right. I kind of go back to Sex in the City. When Miranda decided to move to Brooklyn, everyone said, move to Brooklyn, you're crazy. But that was about 12 or 15 years ago. And, in the, and that sort of, that was a uh, sort of a totem that sort of started other people looking looking at Brooklyn different. And for many buyers, this is the preferable place to be. I always say if I was 20 years younger, I would be living in Brooklyn. I, I go there often. I socialize there. I shop there. It is a, it's, it's, it's a very cool, fun happening, happening place. And people, I think the younger people want to go where there are people like them at the end of the day. You're very right. And I, and I agree. And I've said this uh, publicly many times. If I were 20 years younger, I would probably do the same thing. And for all the same reasons that you just uh, said. So you've been at, at Halstead, I think we said about 12 years now. I was there for 10. What, in your opinion, is it about the company or the executive team or both that creates such a great retention you know, uh, record? I mean, I remember being there for, for so many years, and it's like you know, family, and it's like such a strong bond. It's a fantastic company to work for. What do you attribute that to? I think I attribute it to several factors. Number one, it's the culture which you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. It's the resources the people, the company has that, that we, you know, the, we're always striving to have more and more things for agents and tools for them to use. And it's the people. We have the best combination of those in the business. It's why I'm there. And I believe in the company and the people and, and, and the people there. Um, the agents, the staff, and the executive, and, and the ownership. It's just truly the best in the industry. And, 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 it's, and it's, it's like home for people. It's home for me. Yeah, it was home for me for, for many, many years. And, and I think you're right. The ownership also, you know, we do, what do they say? It always comes from the top, top whatever. Absolutely. And they are, they're a great company. And, of course, Diane, the CEO of the company, Diane Ramirez, she's a giant in the New York, in the New York real estate industry. What's it like to work so closely with her? I mean, I, well, first I love of all, Diane from, I, a, as an, from an agent perspective, but, you know, from an executive manager. It's, it's the same. So, firstly, um, she's the hardest working person I know, mm-hmm. and that motivates me to work harder. Diane is both smart and elegant, and she works in a collaborative fashion. I think she is the fundamental success to Halstead, and I'm quite frankly, I'm proud to work with her. Um, often we go to national conferences together, and, I, and, I, and I, all I have to do is introduce myself as the person that works with Diane Ramirez. It both opens doors for me mm. and gets me a big smile on the mm. face like you're getting right now. It's great. She's a very special lady. She's a very special lady, and I love her to death. And uh, you're right. Anytime I, and I haven't worked there for four or five years now, but anytime I mention her as using used to work for her or whatever people smile yep. they just know her and they love her whatever it's a very giving person let's absolutely let's talk about you though for a minute so what do you have a favorite success story in in all these years that you've been in real estate all these years that you've been you know a new yorker and and someone who's been very successful not only living here but working here what is sure. a great success I, I, story listen, i've had a lot of success over my career and a lot of different elements of my career so 
Um, a few key moments uh, at different points in my career are, that I would sort of like to maybe chat about is number one as a sales director. I mentioned this earlier. I've had four revenue rookie of the, rookies of the year that have come from my Phenomenal. office and a fifth one to join me. Okay, as you know, that's an incredible statistic. As a broker, and this is going back about 21 years ago, I had three deals that totaled about five million dollars, which was a lot of money in those days. Um, dot, all die in one day. It was a Friday, and I remember going into that weekend so depressed. But I made each one, within about a month or two months, I made each one of those deals happening happen. And thirdly, and this happened a couple of years ago as an executive, I was responsible for their curtailment of a master lease for a cooperative building that will result in today's dollars of over an $88 million of additional income for that cooperative. And I was able to do it by reading the master lease for the cooperative and understanding their relationship with the master lease and the original ground lease that the building subsequently purchased, okay, I saw an opportunity to end that master lease early. Um, in the 34 years since the co-op purchased the lease, no one else saw this opportunity, and to me it was clear. We had, it was litigated, but both the New York State Supreme Court and the New York State Appellate Court agreed with me for exactly the reasons why I enunciated when I first read the master lease. That's amazing. What inspires you every day? I mean, again, successful a business band, successful in real estate, successful, you know, here in, in town. When you wake up in the morning, you know, and you jump out of bed to start your day, what is what inspires you? How I can make a difference in both the world and the people in my life. At this point in my life, I often think about what my legacy will be. Um, and the answer is in the people I've helped grow both professionally and personally. We've had a lot of success along the way doing that. But the reward is knowing I can make a difference in someone's life and then hopefully see them soar beyond whatever I did. And I've had many examples of doing that. And as the commercial said, when you can see that happen, it's priceless. Well said. And and I, I've spent years saying the same thing, not only on this show, but anywhere, you know, giving back, you know, you, you attain a certain amount of success in your career, knowledge and wisdom by the time you get to a certain age. And, you know, I just feel so compelled almost on a daily basis to just want to give back of whatever I've learned and whatever I've achieved or whatever I've found success in to help those just starting out. There's nothing better than, you know, the millennials today who are in their early 20s and even sometimes teenagers who are just starting out and they look to people like us for for guidance Absolutely. and for inspiration because they want to do the same things. Unfortunately, we have to take a break. We're out of time. We will be back right after these messages. You're ta- we were talking to um, Richard Grossman, president of Halstead Property. We'll be back soon. Don't go away. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. In the spirit of Have Couch, Will Travel, Dr. Carol Lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world. Each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares. Society is spiraling out of control and everyone is reeling from it. But now there's an answer. The best way to keep sane in this insane world is to tune in to Dr. Carol's Couch on Voice America. Dr. Carol, a certified media psychiatrist, will broadcast live from her Beverly Hills office every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio. 
VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back, and the panel has just joined us. Matthew Cohen from Core Real Estate, uh, Perul uh, Brambat from Compass, Phil Horrigan from LeaseBreak.com, and our special panel guest today, Tony Sargent from Compass, and he is a luxury sales specialist. So we're going to get into some of that luxury talk. Richard and I were just mentioning luxury, and luxury is defined in so many different ways, and everybody has different numbers and different categories that it wants to put it in, but we're going to get the real scoop. So anyway, how is everybody this week? It's How another beautiful good. day. Is it, did it start? <laughs> it's gorgeous. It's gorgeous outside. Gorgeous. No, did, it, did it start raining? Because it it's was been yes, pouring all morning. Uh, it was dribbling by the time I get here very early, so it was dribbling when I came in, and I'm not looking forward to leaving. Anyway, let's get right to it. There are three drivers of New York City real estate. One is Wall Street and how it is doing. Second is supply and demand. Third is how do people, particularly foreigners, feel about New York as a safe place for their financial assets. In New York, is seen if New York is seen as safe financially, then we are in good shape. So, Tony, question to you: You focus on the luxury real estate market. How is that market doing today? I mean, taking into consideration the the recent campaign, the new president elect, the the slow period in general of the overall marketplace over the past year. How is the luxury marketplace doing today? So I think the luxury, and just uh, I'm a Tony Sargent from Core, actually, not Compass. But um, so <laughs> I say Compass. You did, but that's Ooh. all right. Oh, oh no! Welcome over, no. It's <laughs> <laughs> all right. Core. So, oh my God. Anyway, so the luxury market again really def- depends on which section of the luxury market oh, you're right, talking about. Them. And so we are, you know, there's you look at the luxury market and it depends on where you are. So in New York City, if you're looking at the top 10%, we're looking usually at over four million dollars. And again, there's the uptown market, there's the downtown market. The downtown market, for example, the two and a half to four and a half million this year has actually been fairly slow. Mm -hmm. Um, The number of contracts going out was significantly, if you looked at Chelsea Flatiron, for example, they ran about seven, eight contracts a month. Suddenly from like June 21st to July 2nd, there were two for the whole six week period. What I've noticed in doing some research yesterday, there's actually 18 contracts that have gone out in the same in the last four weeks in this two and a half to four and a half million in the Chelsea Flatiron area, which is highly unusual compared to where it was in the beginning of the year. So, I think the luxury market has certainly it sort of peaked out at the end of 14, beginning of 15. It was kind of like a plane getting to cruising altitude, and then it gently softened down this year. Um, I think at the same time, you have a lot of sellers that have been sort of looking back at numbers from 14 and 15 and saying, I want to hit those numbers, or their brokers are convincing them that those numbers are still achievable. So you have this disparity between where buyers are looking at now, and they're going out and they're seeing properties over and over again that are still on the market. You have a series of brokers that are also using this sort of price high and drop prices every month, which sends a a message to the market that's not 100% accurate, which is the prices are coming down. So the market is, my sense is right now, the market is actually great for buying because there's mm-hmm. opportunity right now, which there may not be in three it's months. It's fantastic for buying. And at core, you get the same reports that I get every morning, uh, sales report every every morning. And all I saw yesterday when I looked at the, the report that came from Doug 
was all of these red arrows down down like three quarters of the report, price drop, price drop, price drop. And I thought, wow, this is quite, kind of amazing. So the correction, I think, is continuing. My only question is, you know, how easy is it for the sellers to really understand that, you know, we're not in a buyer's market, but 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 that they have to adjust if they want to sell. Because once I see all these adjustments, I then start hearing about contracts being signed or contracts going out or offers being accepted. You know, everybody on, on either side has to kind of compromise. But I still think it's challenging. And then on top of that, sorry, just to chime in. First of all, Tony's one of the most knowledgeable people I know in the industry, so I have to just say that at core. <laughs> um, at core, but, oh my God, I can't believe it. On top of that, he says a very interesting thing about just neighborhoods and how we classify the luxury market because something that we haven't tapped in on is something that happened to me just actually over Thanksgiving, and that was a client of mine who was looking to buy about seven months ago in that three to four million range downtown. He actually got exhausted. He he. There was so much inventory, and there was so much new development, and there were so many things to look at. So much product, especially downtown, in that range, mm-hmm. in that luxury range, mm-hmm. um, that he looked at so much of it, and actually liked a good amount of it. But there was so much to compare that he got a little tired and exhausted. And now say, he's right. And it, now it, he's you know, back. It's, it's, I feel like for the first time since I've been in this industry that I feel like I'm in a market that's reflecting the overall New York City mindset of the paradox of choice, which is in downtown, Absolutely. it used to just be that you had, you know, here's the eight apartments or 17 apartments or on a good day, 25 apartments that fit your criteria. Mm-hmm. Um, you look at them, either you're going to buy something of that or you're just not ready to buy yet. Um, or the thing that you want is is outside of that price range. I mean, there was there's some very clear distinctions. Right now, there is simply a lot more on the market to choose from. And I do think that um, that it is doing two things. Number one, it's saying to buyers, oh, I'm not in a rush. I've got choices. <clears throat> um, and then the other part of it is, is that it is confusing people a little bit. Also, to answer your question about what are sellers, are sellers realistic? What is happening? Um, it's interesting. I just think it comes down to like how much they need, want to sell, divest from where their money's at and put it in something else. It's not about even need to sell as much as, you know, sort of processing. And I think a good broker helps you do this. Like I'm negotiating a transaction right now where my seller's expectations are from 2014. And um, my conversation with him is, do you understand that if you took this money and put it here, this is what your scenario would look like? If you keep the money where it's at, this is what I see the next three to five years looking like. I, It's not my job to tell you to sell or not sell. My job is to give you a very accurate understanding of what your set of possibilities are and what those outcomes generally look like. And then you can make your decision from that moment forward. And educating the seller the way we are used to educating our buyer is the key right now. And I've always been the type of person who, you know, describes the New York real estate industry as romantic. And I think that they have a lot of similarities. Um, And I I always Mm -hmm. tell my clients, you know, my buyers, when you see the one, when you walk into the one, you'll know. And it's it's a feeling that you cannot always put on paper. But... To add to what Parole said, it, it, 
all these choices, all the all this inventory, what it does to buyers is it creates multiple ones. And and when you have multiple apartments that you fall for, you then will try and put them up against each other, I've found. And especially in a market that we're in now, like Tony said, it's, it's, it's great for buyers. <laughs> well, you, well, you, yeah. you, you try and you try and you're like, I love, you're like, I love three products. I'm going to try and see which I can get the best deal on. So th- this is an interesting moment too, because I think, I mean, I've been in the business for 17 and a half years and I came into the market in two, 2000, 2000, when there was no inventory. And I went through right. 2003, we went through 9-11, we went through also the crash. And so what's interesting to me is to watch what's happening right now, because I think in many ways, no one parallels it to the crash. But there is, for example, if you look at the Chelsea flat hour market, there's 100 properties on the market right now in this two and a half to 400 million, four and a half million range. And so whereas two years ago in 2004, three years ago in 2014, like Perul said, you had maybe 10 or yeah. 20 properties. So as a broker, you as a broker, you actually have to start really being knowledgeable because I think one of the <clears> issues <throat> we have right now is people are just cutting prices. They're actually not being creative about bringing a property mm-hmm. to the market <clears throat> to actually create a story around that property and target and identify how does this property stand out Absolutely. from everything else. So Tony, let me ask you something. So with the with the rise, uh, the increase, the significant increase in the stock market since the election has been over, I mean, zooming and booming, how quickly do you think that trickle down to purchase power, as I call it, will happen? Well, so, but buyers are obviously invested, and and obviously when they look at their statements, they've they've done really well in the last month. Does that gonna is that easily going to translate into buying you know uh, real estate in New York City? So I think it really depends where you stand. I think there's you know New York has the highest concentration of high net worth individuals in the country by far, no. and you also have high net worth individuals from around the world. So you have all these multiple markets. You have baby boomers that are now buying properties that are two to five million dollars for their kids. Right, kids that have grown up with trust funds that you know they've had parents that are working that are not super wealthy, but they've just put money aside for them. So this wealth effect that we're seeing right now in the last week or three weeks is important. But I also think, and I hear from a lot of my Wall Streeters that there's some hesitation. They're not sure is it going to last, right? So I think that, there's always that, yeah. Right. So you have the election. The election is behind us. You've got a period of time that everyone is getting used to the new reality, and I think humanity does move on. And ultimately, what is happening is you have the people that must sell that will determine what the bottom line numbers are. They are going to create the new reality. So that person that bought a property a year ago that thought they were going to sell for $4 million, but are now at 3.2 is in a crunch to get out of that home because they're now moving into that new development. Exactly. So You know what? I think there's a lot more with this topic specifically. <clears throat> what we're actually seeing in the market, I don't know if everybody's experiencing this, but between having a new development and doing resale, I'm sort of seeing just this like massive, and I know Matthew and I were talking talking about this right before, that um, he's seen a massive uptick in his business since the election. Um, It's insane how many deals that I'm negotiating. So what are the drivers is the question. And a driver talking about the markets and the stock markets, it's all about how someone looks at it. Because yeah. I think a lot of people that look at the stock market and say right. focus on the Dow, when they see it above 19 now, mm-hmm. they start to... 
get scared and they start to think when is that going to come crashing down well, but at the same time two ideologies exactly right. this, this, it's the this, new normal this, and it's also well. i'm concerned because it may exactly. drop significantly right. exactly again. but then the other side of it is the mortgage side because mm-hmm. if exactly. you look at the bond so market exactly where I was going which with this. right which <laughs> for what i are always on mind. the same You're page if, mind, if, if, like, if you look at the drivers if you look at the bond market that drives mortgage rates and interest rates obviously have skyrocketed in the last few weeks since the election and what and then that pro- further. exactly, and what that produces for buyers is they see it go up, they get scared that it's going to increase even more, and that creates urgency for them to pull the to trigger. purchase. Right. Yeah, exactly. And the other school of thought is also when the stock market's doing well, people do wonder, do I want to take my money out of here and put mm-hmm. it into real estate? Absolutely. On the other hand, you know, so it's the people who are interest rate sensitive who feel like they need to jump in right now, but. I think the 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 largest factor is confidence in the economy. And so whether people are moving and keeping their money in the stock market or moving into real estate, there seems to be an insanely different environment in terms of how confident people feel in the economy at the moment and in the near future. What's and to make it just a side note though is what's interesting to me is is how long I am curious to understand how long people will see that lasting because history says that regardless of whether it's a Democrat to Democrat president switch, Democrat to Republican, Republican, Democrat does not matter. One year into any new president's presidency, there's a recession. So I wonder how that's going to play out this time. And I I think also to Matt's point, I think there's a lot of people, as you said, there's a lot of people that have been floating around. I kind of equate it to like you take the 6 p.m. BA flight to London and you're supposed to land at six o'clock and you arrive at five o'clock and you have to circle for an hour because you can't land. And I think there's a lot of people actually right now circling in the air, watching for everybody else to land Mm -hmm. first. So the risk averse are waiting for someone else to pull the trigger. And as I said to a client this summer, by the time you realize everyone else has signed the contract, you've missed the deals. Right. Absolutely. That's a great analogy. And I have a buyer right now. We are looking at a new development building and, you know, they just really opened and there's only, I think, two contracts signed and he wants to buy something there. And he says to me, I think I want to wait for another contract or two to be signed before I'm comfortable in doing the same thing. And I'm saying, well, okay, but you may miss out because somebody may come right around the corner and scoop up that apartment that you want because you're waiting on the sidelines. You know, you're either going to buy it or you're not. I mean, you, you agree that the price is okay, so you know you got to. The only do problem with that is it reminds me of 2008 a little bit, 2009, where if it is. And I don't want to use the term falling knife because it's not like it's that kind of thing. But if things are moving down and you're a buyer and you see prices just continuing to be reduced and reduced, why do you want to put a stake in the ground at that point? Why not wait a little bit? And that I'm seeing that all, I'm seeing that so much with buyers. And if if Tony's right that in some places the inventory is ten times what it was, I mean, I I know we're supposed to push up, you know be champions for the market, but guys, I mean, prices are going to come down further. And you guys mentioned 2014, 15 prices. My question when I'm working with sellers is, where are we now? You know, what do you tell them? What advice? Are we at 2013? Are we at 2012? Because if you're competing with so many other properties and you want to sell it, the only way to sell it is to put a, I mean, come 10% below where everything else is. No, How do you stand right. out? That's right. Right. Hold, hold on, guys. We have, yeah. to leave, we have to leave it there. We'll be back right after these commercials. This is Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. Don't go away.
the Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com I've been a real estate broker for 14 years, and I really believe that success in any business happens one happy customer at a time. A client once told me, Maggie, you're going to be my broker for life. And I really take a lot of pride in that. When you exceed a customer's expectations, you know you've done a great job for them. You've gone above and beyond. They're going to give you repeat business. They're going to refer you to their family and friends. It means that they really, really trust you. I'm Maggie Kent with CORE, and this is what I do. The Voice America Live Events page is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480 294 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Okay, everybody, we are back for our fourth and final segment. Matthew Cohen from Core Real Estate, Tony Sargent from Core Real Estate, Perul Brombat, Compass, and Phil Horrigan, LeadsBreak.com. All right, it's no secret that rents are ridiculously high in New York City. According to a Street Easy report recently, New Yorkers are bearing a greater rent burden than ever devoting an average of 65.2% of their incomes to paying rent. Many experts recommend spending no more than 30% of our monthly salary on housing. Mr. Horrigan, how are we doing with this? In terms of just the rental market overall? Correct. Or, yeah, and, I mean, and how people are really affording, you know, spending so much more of their annual or monthly budget just to cover their rent. But I think the problem is that, so that has been going on, and that's one of the reasons why the market is really struggling right now. I mean, the rental market is is probably worse than the it sales is. market. It is. Mm-hmm. Um, we have, I, I met with a bunch of top brokers yesterday. We meet every few months, and Everyone was commenting on how much the rental market was struggling. Apartments are just sitting and sitting and sitting. Most things have, maybe not most, but so many apartments have what we call OPs, owner pays, where landlords offer incentives. Um, This is another example where price, I mean, we talked about price uh, last segment, but price really matters. I mean, there's just so much competition out there and you have to get ahead of it. That's the key. So the numbers you quoted, I think are coming down. They're Mm -hmm. not going to be that high anymore. Mm -hmm. And I think people finally said, I've had enough. They're looking at other boroughs like we talked about last week. Um, So you have to really get serious with pricing and that's how you make a difference in this market, unfortunately. And also, you know, to harp on the rental market. First of all, these are the people that are most likely going to feel urgency to pull the trigger if they're considering buying with the interest rates increasing. That that is truly what I am finding mm-hmm. since I have a lot of clients who, you know, do rent before they buy or rent between owning places. Um and then I mean not to harp on it from the last show, but Leonard Steinberg said it perfectly in terms of affordability. It all comes down to what you can afford. And if a rental number, no matter what the OP 
is or no matter what the net rent is, if you can't afford it, you just can't afford it. And there's no way to get around that. Very simple equation, right? That's, and that's I would also agree with Phil that uh, the rental market is absolutely much more price sensitive. And you really do have to because, you know, at the end of the day, that's not your home. It's not a purchase. There's a different emotional value attached. Um I think in the sales market, you know, ultimately price has to be in the right ballpark. Um, but sometimes higher prices can be achieved with creative marketing, creating a story, as Tony was saying. Mm-hmm. So, you know, th- there's there's definitely a range there. But right now, to Vince's point, you know, there's been a disparity between what the sellers are thinking, what the buyers are thinking. And speaking of luxury market, um, at the very high end of the market, what we're seeing is negotiations between ten to thirty percent on sales prices, right. and this is this is something. I mean, t- to your to speak, kind of going off that, mm-hmm. when you look at a, re- a lease property and you look at a re- lease decision, it's a one year pro- it's a one year decision, one or two year decision. So just from consumer psychology, it's much more price driven because mm-hmm. and much more widget driven because there's a lot more similar similarities between products. When you look at someone actually going through a consumer position to buy something. There's a lot more emotional investment and a lot more fear or confidence and a future that they're building there. So mm-hmm. it becomes more than just the price. Mm-hmm. And I think the issue that we've run into is that so many people have only been using price as a marketing tool or price right. as a differentiator. And really just saying, as we said at the end of the last segment, which is, okay, take this price and add 10%. Right, so they're actually not doing the data analysis, and you really need to as to, to serve our clients best. And you also, need to look at all and these the factors. understanding that data is a very important, and and also, and unfortunately or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, very manipulatable, if that's a word, mm-hmm. uh, is asset to us. So there, I was pricing something out, and because I know the buildings that are direct actual comps to this in within the neighborhood and other buildings that are not direct comps, when you have that understanding and when you run the numbers, they look very different from not understanding the comps in an area first and foremost. But secondly, that doesn't mean that the person who's buying or selling understands that or their broker understands that. So the education part is key, but then the manipulation of the numbers is also quite plausible within that space where the range just gets even larger as to what is correct pricing yeah, I mean, as well. I just want to make one other point is that so in a market like this, in my opinion, see if you guys agree, is that. We often, when we're trying to help a seller price out a property, we may be looking at some other comps, what's sold in the building, that kind of thing. You have to go a step further. You have to, but you want to look also from the buyer's perspective. If they Mm -hmm. have two and a half million dollars, what is their options? You have to do that. And And that is exactly how how I price And this is how New York has changed so much, so much. I would say in the last like five years, more than before, maybe seven but what you used to see is people who are so neighborhood centric. I want to live in Gramercy. No, I want to live in no. either Gramercy or, or or the or the Greenwich Village. Now it's like okay, I'm willing to look at Williamsburg, Upper East Side, well, and the Upper West Side, and I do, I'll even consider Long Island yeah, City. I mean, the, it's a very different. The world. New York Times did an article last year, December of last year, about the affordability of the Upper East Side. Everything mm-hmm. I've put on the Upper East Side this year is gone in a week mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because you're looking at price per square foot. There's right. several hundred several hundred dollars below. Chelsea and other areas. To your point about the high-end market, in 2009, as the crash happened, in the first three months after the crash, 
any six and a half million dollar plus property that sold was around Central Park. Mm-hmm. And what happened is as prices came down, people with money see the see the reality and see the discount value there from where things were mm-hmm. and they jump in. So at some point there will be people that will jump in. Mm-hmm. And to your point about pricing, I have always said you don't price based on what sold two years ago in a building. That's mm-hmm. a that's a bullet point. However, mm-hmm. you have to look at what are the buyers looking and what's your competition today. I, yep. That's the conversation. I, I 100% agree with you. Absolutely. But 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 a question too, and I think Richard and I touched on this a little bit. You know, in some cases, the sellers are still not there yet. So when they say to you, well, you know, an apartment in my line Mm -hmm. last year or even two years ago sold for X amount of dollars, and we come back and say, well, that was then, that was that market, that absolutely is not this market, but they dig in. So what do we do with that? Because now I think we're in in a crucial period of price adjustments must and, and continue to happen. And when that does happen, and they are much more affordable, they will sell in in a couple of weeks. But sellers aren't there yet. That's where where a broker, that's where us as experts really need to be careful because right. you, yes, we're experts. We are some of the best, especially at this table, but you have to use your knowledge to also communicate as a person. I mean, we're all human beings. Educate, we have to yeah. relate to them as it's because we also Educate. buy and sell and rent real estate. You know, we have to use our common knowledge as well as our expertise mm-hmm. to be able to talk to them and explain to them so Absolutely. that they become as knowledgeable as so, we are. And, 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 yeah, and it's all in the I way you take, do it too. You know, you can't come yeah. across as a hard ass. Exactly. You, know, no. you have to, to do me, it in, the, in a way that's personal. To, yeah, to I me, will take a, them on a tour. Right. I will show yeah, them. Well, that's, yeah, I show them. Also, it's about, you know, 10, 15 years ago, we had all the knowledge, we had all the information, they have all of it in front of them too. So it's not about telling anyone anything today, it's about asking the right questions. But here's the thing, we're all sitting here with phones around the table. This is where everything starts. Mm -hmm. If your property doesn't look good here, it's not, no one's going to enter it. Mm -hmm. And you can sit, and my question to sellers is, okay, if you're going to get, when I meet with sellers, I'm like, you will get a price from here, a range from here to here. And you will get some brokers that will tell you any price to get your listing because they don't have enough business. So your property becomes a marketing tool for them. So someone has a lot of business is great, but if that doesn't sell your property at the price you want... If you're in a downward market or the market is, let's say your plane is descending and you're at 30,000 feet right now, and let's say we think it's going to descend to 24,000, if you price at 30,000 now, Next month, when it's at 24 and you drop to 28, you're still above the market exactly. and you will miss it. I All right. Unfortunately, we have to leave it there. But, Tony, you need to come back and, and finish those thoughts. That is our show for this week. Thanks for joining us. You can catch the show anytime on podcast or on our website, voiceamerica.com or at vincerocco.com. Thanks to Richard Grossman, president of Halstead Property. For all of us at Voice America all around the world, thanks for joining us. And we will see you next time. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones.